Strike! Tell me something I don't know, Ump. Well, unlike that nasty curveball, there aren't any surprises when you finance your next car with Carvana. You get real terms personalized for you right in your strike zone. Really? Strike! How am I supposed to focus when you're telling me about Carvana? Well, Slugger, you gotta keep your eye on the ball. Just like you can keep an eye on your customized down and monthly car payments. I can customize those? He's out! And on his way to finance his next car with Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get pre-qualified today. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Welcome to Transistory. I am one of your co-hosts, Bree Hacker. And I'm Claire Thomas. And this is our first episode. Yay! The whole impetus behind this podcast was for us to be able to do a women's history podcast that's all-inclusive and to not just tell like the happy stories of the powerful women uh, that have come before us, but also to tell the stories of just the, the, the truly strange stories. Yeah, um, we're going to get weird. We're going to get really weird. And we're starting off weird. We are setting a tone. Yes, we are. As always. Yes. We're, we're always weird anyway, so this works. Um, and the original inspiration for this is my subject for today, which Claire and I do not know uh, who we're doing for this nope. week. Secrets. And we've also picked people that the other person is very likely to know anything about. Mm-hmm. Um, so my person today um is definitely strange is yours does yours fit in that same bill or are we more of a happy story on yours today no some strange shit happened it's 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 probably more um she was a cis woman so it's um different but yeah some weird shit happened at the end of her life so we're gonna we're gonna explore this i stuff i had never known about so it's we're all learning that's fantastic and Mm -hmm. I, i love that we've been able like i did not know as much about my subject as I did before I started actually uh, doing this research. So, yeah, I'm super excited. Um, but to start a podcast tradition, Claire, what are you drinking today? So, I am drinking a Cabernet. Anyone who knows me would probably already be able to tell you that. A Cabernet, it just hit 5.30, so. Yes, no, we're, <laughs> we are being responsible. Yes. Yes, and it's Sunday, so F it. F it. What are you drinking, Brie? I'm drinking a Moscato Spumante. Oh. First time trying this, and okay. it's okay. It's not my favorite, but it, it's, it's right. definitely going to pass. Wine is wine. Wine is wine. Honestly. Um, so, a little bit about how we came about starting this podcast. Mm-hmm. This is actually Brie's idea. We were in the car one day, and she was talking about how she wants to do this podcast about trans women in history, women in history. Um and I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. We both have a shared love of podcasts, podcasting. And it just kind of came to be. And Bree's the tech one. Um, so she got the mics, the headphones. And I just kind of sat back. <laughs> <laughs> she came up with the name, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we're really excited um, just to tell you all about the history of really important trans females and cis females in history. Um, and did I say history twice? I don't think so. Okay. Well, even if I did, emphasis on history. This is a history podcast, people. Um, But no, we're really excited. And we're also learning with you guys, which is really cool. I know this week doing research, I learned a lot. 
and it's keeping my brain sharp. Bree, did you learn a lot? Oh of my new? gosh! Yeah. Yes, and I learned some hilarious stories about my subject, and cannot <laughs> wait to get into this. I can't either, because you are a history mm-hmm. buff. So, well, and Claire's a writer, so yes, I may dive a little deep into the history, but I have no doubt that Claire's <laughs> presentation on this is going to be absolutely <laughs> stellar. Uh, and we both we both <clears throat> live in the mountains of North Carolina. Bree, do you want to do the honors by going first with your person? Oh, that's nerve-wracking. Um, sure, I will. I'll absolutely do that. Okay, we'll we'll jump right in. And also, if you're looking for a professional podcast, this is not it. This no. is two friends that are telling cool stories to each other. Yeah, we're drinking um, wine in my one-bedroom apartment and my mini galley kitchen right and now. Also known as a studio. Yeah. On a table that came with the apartment that has wobbly legs. So So. apologies if you hear tabling noises. But again, we are here to just tell fun stories. And we hope that you'll enjoy it. Yes. And uh, just a note, a lot of the people, especially the trans women that we cover, um, they may have gone by different pronouns. um, Or they may have been forced to go by different pronouns. And so what... What we would like to do is, as we research this, um, whatever pronouns we feel that they would have preferred um, or did prefer, that's the pronouns we're going to go with. And I say this because I am instantly going to wade into a huge historical debate um, and just make lots of friends. (laughs) So my, uh, my subject is, to the best of my knowledge, the only empress of Rome. Mm-hmm. And she had several names. Okay. Um, but the one that most people know is Elagabalus. Okay. Okay. You've um, talked about her before, I think. Yes. Yes. Elagabalus. And she, uh, she also went by Heliogabalus. And when she was made emperor, it was, Ant- she went by Antoninus trying to call back to one of the five good emperors. Um, and, of course, she was born with another name, um, including Various was one of hers. Oh. Spelled a little different than how we would spell it, but it was the same idea because her classmates were making fun of the fact that she had various lovers. Oh, so school <clears throat> bullying went back to the Roman times, huh? Even if you were born to prestige, absolutely. <laughs> um, and so historically, Elagabalus has always been referred to with he, him pronouns. Um... And to the best of my knowledge, after reading into this, um, I absolutely feel like she would have used she, her pronouns, especially given some of the other stuff that she said during her life. So I will be referring to her as she wished. Um, So um, quick backstory. The emperor before her was a man named Macrinus. He was a usurper. He had huge legitimacy issues. And on top of that, he wasn't the right class to be an emperor. Mm -hmm. Um, He wasn't of the senator class. He was um, an equestrian, which is kind of like a... Like a horse rider? Yeah, it's just the class below senator. So in early Rome, when they were called out, they were the ones that were required to bring a horse. And therefore they... Because they were of enough money and means to do that. Um, So at any rate, he was not popular. He also did a lot of stuff that the Romans saw as weak. And so very quickly... um, he, he he had issues, 
And specifically, he was undermined by um, a woman named Julia Misa, who was the sister-in-law of the Emperor Septimius Severus, of whom this whole line of emperors is named the Severan Emperors. And um, she was also the aunt of the Emperor Caracalla. So she, she had the legitimacy that Macrinus did not have. She also had the funds, and so she starts bribing people, like, everywhere. That's right. That's right. Elagabalus was based out of Syria, which was a major issue because she wasn't referred to as a Roman. She was seen as being culturally Eastern and therefore, you know, decadent. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, uh, Elagabalus' grandmother, she bribes the legion that's in Syria to revolt. The emperor... Macrinus sends out another legion, including his own personal Praetorian guard, to stop them, who Julia Misa also bribes. So everybody gets all the money they want, and Julia Misa gets what she wants, which is to be the power behind the throne. Because the, the real thing here is that Elagabalus was 14 years old. <laughs> um, which... She also said that Elagabalus was the son of the prior emperor Caracalla. Uh, but that would have made Caracalla 14 when Elagabalus was conceived, and almost certainly Caracalla was not the father of, of Elagabalus. <laughs> I just can't get over the name Elagabalus. Elagabalus? Gopolis. Well, let me tell you where that comes from. Okay, please do. So early in, in, in her life, she was made the high priestess um, of a sun god religion that eventually became super popular in Rome. Um... But at the time, it was called El Gabal, and therefore El Agabalus from El Gabal, because um, you'll see why they get linked together in just a minute. But um, El Gabal eventually becomes known as Sol Invictus and uh, becomes one of the primary competing religions with Christianity in, in late Rome. So El Agabalus was just a little ahead of her time. Uh-huh. So... Uh, uh, she was born Avidius Bassianus. Okay, what's that? That that was just her name. That was, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and Sounds she important. she was assigned male at birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so yeah, she's definitely because of her sun god link there. That's why historians have all called her Elagabalus, because to call two different emperors Antoninus would have been complicated. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she was half Syrian and half African. And so she's usually called the first Eastern Empress. Okay. Um, because she was culturally Syrian. She was not culturally Roman. Um, and uh, she was also the first Empress to rule without an emperor, which is another distinction that's been stolen from her. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so her, uh, her grandmother arranges for these armies to get, to either flip to her side or they, they defeat the few that didn't. And, uh, she convinces the senators, uh, back in Rome that they're, they, they really need to be behind Elagabalus. And so Macrinus gets overthrown rather easily. But the issue here is that, uh, Elagabalus took her time coming to Rome. And so... She uh, she stops over on her way in Nicomedia, and they send this portrait of Elagabalus to uh, 
to the senator so they'll be able to recognize the emperor when she comes in. And this is the most teenager thing ever. <laughs> because Elagabalus does not uh, send a picture of her wearing a toga and the traditional Roman dress and the traditional Roman hair. Um, none of this. She sends a picture of her. And just, her grandmother and her mother both are like virtually demanding she, she dress the part. Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, no, fuck that. And she wore her silk robes, and she had her makeup on. Mm-hmm. And so this is what's sent to the senators in Roman. They are like, oh, sweet God. <laughs> Who have we just put in charge? Oh, I love it. <laughs> so she, uh, she was already, she started on a rough patch just because of that. And again, this is a 14-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. So asking her to to dress a certain way or act a certain way, of course, like there's that instant rebellion. Oh yeah, <clears throat> I did. <laughs> she also made the the faux pas of um, going ahead and taking all the titles that the Senate usually gave to an emperor, and she just went ahead and took those without the Senate ever doing anything. Essentially, throwing a finger to the Roman Senate. Uh huh. Nice. Um, which also began a small power struggle there. On top of the is that, a, is that a boy in the picture? Because we thought we had a boy. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so, um, there's, there's regret before Elagabalus ever gets to Rome. Mm-hmm. That they made her the empress. And to be clear, she was not a saint. Um, right. She killed tons of people. Oh, hell yeah. Um, we don't like saints here. No. <laughs> um, she was a po- spoiled teenager. She was born to the imperial family. Um, she grew up knowing that there was a chance that she was going to end up being the ruler of Rome. Um, so she she probably never heard no in her life. Yeah, Jesus. Imagine growing up knowing, oh, like one day I'll probably be the ruler of yeah, Rome. it's insane. Jesus Christ. I wouldn't listen to shit, you know? No, you you would find the person that, w- that wanted power and would tell you yes and go with like, well, they said yes, so yeah, I'm going with yes. Absolutely. Um... So she was definitely not mature enough to, like, so much as uh, manage a hot dog cart, much less to, uh-huh. to become the empress of Rome. But, right. Um, hey, you learn as you go, you know? Well, <laughs> she, she milked the situation, but saying she learned as she went is, is a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so she killed anybody who supported the prior emperor. She killed anybody who disagreed with her. She killed anybody who made fun of her for looking feminine. Okay. She would demand that they come to these um, rituals for El Gabal, where she would dress in women's clothes and dance around and um, oh. for the sun god. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she, we all love to dance for the sun god, let's be honest. Who doesn't? <laughs> and so she... Um, she did this, she, um, and this is one of my favorite stories, so she puts on this play mm-hmm. that's, um, let me find where it is here in my notes. She puts on this play where, um, she was doing a play of the story of Paris, where, you know, Paris meets the three goddesses and has to choose which one is, like, the, the most beautiful, and mm-hmm. so it's this Trojan story, 
but she did not play Paris. Oh. She wanted to be Venus. She wanted to be a pretty <clears throat> goddess. Yeah, no, the prettiest goddess. The oh. goddess of romance, Venus. Oh. And also made a point where this... <laughs> In the actual play, this isn't part of it, but she would drop her clothes and, like, just kind of, like, push her ass back and, like, this oh, whole so, thing. Oh, so, like, modern-day TikTok. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it was <laughs> it was way beyond... It's more like modern-day OnlyFans. Um, if you got it, flaunt it, you know? Yeah, just to... And to be clear, Elagopolis was hated by the historians who wrote about her. Uh-huh. And so... Um, she got a lot of bad press and mm-hmm. I'll get into later, like the, the back and forth between them, but she, uh, so I'm going to read just a little bit of this, mm-hmm. um, because it's awesome. <clears throat> and this comes from, uh, which one is this? Herodian. So Herodian was an, another equestrian, lived in Africa, heard all this secondhand, but had no trouble writing it down. And since that's one of the few histories that's come down to us, um, that's one we have to go by. So Herodian obviously wrote with he, him pronouns. And so I'm just going to read it as it was written, though we are referring to her um, as a female in this podcast. Uh, moreover, he used to have the story of Paris played in his house, and he himself would take the role of Venus and suddenly drop his clothing to the ground and fall naked on his knees, one hand on his breast, the other before his private parts, his buttocks projecting meanwhile and thrust back in front of his partner in depravity. He would likewise model the expression on his face on that which Venus is usually painted, and he had his whole body depilated. Depilated? Depilated. The hair removed. Okay, okay. Deeming it the chief enjoyment of his life to appear fit and worthy to arouse the lusts of the greatest number. So that almost sounds like an excerpt from a Daniel Steele novel. Like one of those dime paperback things well, see, your grandma used to read. That's the thing is these two historians <laughs> that wrote his about buttocks, him. Project his buttocks out? Oh yeah, like he stuck <laughs> his ass out. Like check this. <laughs> okay, Elagopolis? Elagopolis. Elagopolis. All right, Elagopolis. So... <laughs> Um, the two historians... Gobble this date? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. Oh, we better. <laughs> so the two historians that wrote about him were Cathias Dio, who is a notorious gossip. Like, Ugh. like yes. so it was amazing gossip. Girl. Actually, I don't know. I'm taking your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one's Herodian, who actually never met. Elagabalus never was in Rome while Elagabalus so was in Rome. So all that projecting his ass is just hearsay. It is, but I can 1,000% believe hope, it. I hope, I hope she did. To make things worse, Julia Misa, his grandmother, um, she required, she essentially demanded to be a part of Senate proceedings, which a woman was never allowed to do that. So they're just pissing people off right and left. Um, not exactly making any friends. So wait, what year was this? <laughs> 218 to 222. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So a long ass time ago. Yes. Okay. Um, and also a very short span. Yeah. Um, because she was only empress for just under four years. Upon arriving in Rome, the power went straight to her head. And aside from being the empress, because she was also the high priest of this religion um, for El Gabal, she essentially assumed like a deified role. And... Uh, so she she rededicated all the Roman temples 
to Elgabal. Like, so there were, like, the Temple of Jupiter became the t- another Temple of Elgabal, the Temple of Hera, all okay, of Okay, so it went from being, like, um, mm-hmm. Greek mythology to sun god worship. Yeah. Okay. Essentially. Okay. So, shift in... It's, uh, essentially trying to force monotheism, which, okay. if you look back through history, never works. Mm-hmm. Never works. Right, right. Um, but she was determined. Mm-hmm. And did not give this up at any point. So, uh, the, the people of Rome were still, they were still religious in some aspects, but above all, they were like superstitious. Mm -hmm. And so they were terrified of what Jupiter was going to do whenever he saw that the Romans like had rededicated his temple to this Eastern God. Oh no. Um, and so it was instead of. Like, slowly trying to get them to adopt this new religion. She essentially says, Well, everybody, old religion's done. New religion's here. Forget everything that came before. And, of course, like, there's already some monotheistic religions, like Judaism and Christianity. And they were way more upset than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, she had this huge purge. Killed tons of people. Yeah. So she she made lots of friends. Yeah. Because she's a... 14 year old empress like i cannot if, emphasize this a 14 year old empress oh my god yeah. everyone would be dead bye bye so on top of that the romans had this tradition where it's okay to be gay or bisexual as long as a you are very um circumspect about it and you're you keep it very quiet really okay yes. i didn't know that and b you had to be the top if you're a bottom then <laughs> The Romans, like, considered that a feminine position. And that actually, like, Julius Caesar had an entire thing where he was uh, accused of being the bottom for this other ruler. (laughs) And uh, That's the last straw. Oh, yeah, no. You can give it, you can't take it. Yeah, that's that's the rule. It's amazing. God, I feel it. Oh, yeah. So she was uh, very openly bisexual. She ended up being married six times to five different women. She remarried one. Okay. Um, but her most important relationships were men. Okay. And so um, there was a uh, chariot driver and former slave. So, like, this this guy never should have had a chance. But he falls out of his chariot in front of the, the empress. And she sees it and she's like, he's hung. Take him back <laughs> to the palace. So romantic. It's so romantic. Aww. Um, but she pissed off the Romans, and this is where we get the transgender um, side of this. Is she uh, called her? She she had her her beard plucked so that her face would be smoother. She the only time she ever wore men's clothing is if she was issuing judgments in court. Mm-hmm. Um, she other than that, it was all women's clothing. And there's a lot of really salacious rumors that I don't give as much credence to about like. She she went out and she would like hook in common brothels. And she, <laughs> I don't think an empress would be doing all that. Or she, she doesn't would, need to work for it, no, you know. But she liked the attention, okay. and so that's what what little credence I give to it is. Yes, this was this was a fourteen year old at this point, probably fifteen, that just loved attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I do give a little more credence to is the uh, accusation that she pretended. To be a hooker in the palace and have men whose role it was to come by and like, um, you know, make a pass or hook up with the empress and uh-huh. 
And so she delighted in being called uh, Hierocles' wife and okay. Hierocles' queen. Okay. Um, and who's Hierocles? He's our chariot driver, former oh. slave that's apparently hung enough that if he falls in front of an empress, <laughs> uh, she's going to want that dick. Yeah. She's so, going to take notice. Um, and so, Men, uh, listen up. All you have to do is fall out of a chariot with a hung penis and... Uh, yeah, that's, you're instantly there. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it was to Hierocles. I think it was to somebody else who's another hilarious story that I'm going to tell at the end of this because it's the best story ever. <laughs> um, but she did go so far as to do a, a, an entire wedding ceremony as the female partner. Okay. Like she wanted to be the bride. I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't? It's You got to be all glam. As, as a transgender woman, I cannot say more than, like, yes, I loved being the bride. Like, that's, yes. that's, that's a high point. Yes. Um, and then, on top of that, um, one of the women that she married was one of the Vestal Virgins, which, you can take it from the name, is not supposed to be married because she's dedicated to a god. Um, but he decided he wanted to have godlike children since he's part godlike. And she's dedicated to this god. Um, they would have godlike children. So scandalized Rome that he married and fucked a Vestal virgin. So she was saving herself for a god? She was not allowed to have sex, period. She had to remain a virgin her whole life. Okay. That... <clears throat> poor thing. Well, honestly, looking at the dating pool in this area, I might just save myself for a god also. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. <laughs> So, all this is going on. Alagopolis is making friends right and left, and so she, uh, she alienates virtually everybody. She alienates the, the army with her um, femininity. She alienates the Senate by taking powers away and making them watch this ridiculous ritual every day. Like, they were required to attend her doing her El Gabal ritual every day. And the people of Rome also just started turning against her because she she was making them look bad. Their empress is supposed to be like this high Stoic. and mighty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, she, had, she had named herself Antoninus after this emperor that was known for just being something of a, a figurehead, but like a, a good one um, that just kept everything good. That was the whole thing for Antoninus before. Um, so... She wanted to be Antoninus too. Essentially, the yeah. second. Okay. <clears throat> she wanted to relate herself back to like saying, "This is how I'm going to rule." Okay. And so, um, Julia Misa sees all this going down. The grandma, right? The grandma. Okay. She pissed. Oh, she's furious, okay. and she she realizes that her power behind the throne is not going to last. Mm-hmm. And so she starts looking around for a replacement. And she sees her other grandchild, um, who is Alexander. Mm-hmm. And she convinces Elagabalus to raise Alexander up to the rank of Caesar, which is essentially the heir um, to the Roman Empire. So she, she raises Alexander up, and Alexander's mom is very careful not to let Alexander um, get tied up in any of this craziness that Elagabalus is doing. And Elagabalus is doing everything she can to make Alexander, like, jump on board and start doing scandalous shit. And, <laughs> and Alexander's determined not to. And so, as soon as Alexander is named as Caesar, 
the assassination attempts start because everybody in Rome, no matter which power base it is, um, sees what's next and kind of wants to go ahead and like move move everything along a little bit. So she she starts dodging assassination attempts. And she puts two and two together and realizes that making Alexander the heir is probably what has all this started. Mm-hmm. And so, and this is where she kind of fucks up. She uh, tells everybody that Alexander's dead. Mm-hmm. As you do. As you do. And <laughs> her, uh, her bodyguard flips out and essentially threatens to come over there. And they don't believe he's dead. They believe that he's somewhere in there. And they're going to come, like, tear down the palace. And so Elagabalus, to get the, to, to get them to calm down, brings Alexander to the bodyguard's camp. And says, look, Alexander's alive. And all these Praetorians are giving all this praise to Alexander. And, oh, thank God you're okay. And, and Elagabalus gets jealous and reminds everybody who the Empress is yeah. standing here in this Bitch. camp. Bitch, I'm right here. Uh, the... The Praetorians immediately kind of turn around. They're like, you know what? We're done with you. And so she's immediately hacked to pieces. She's thrown into the Tiber. Like hacked to pieces, like hacked literally? To pieces. Yes. Oh my God. <clears throat> they can't just like kill her quickly. They No, like they, they just... Her up. And so essentially they tossed cool. her into a sewer that led to oh, the Tiber. Oh, okay. Which... Um, she, that got those... her one last nickname. What's... Oh God, Sewer Queen or something? It was... Oh uh, it translates as... Tiberine, or the person oh. of the Tiber, but it, now it's it's in Latin. It's Tiberinus. Mm. Um, so yeah, she had ruled Rome for four years, just under, and she was eighteen years old. So she never got a chance to grow up and mature, and uh, she pissed everybody off. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's it's an insane story. Wow. And so I'm going to read one last quote, and this uh-huh. is from Cassius Dio. Okay. Our gossip historian. Mm-hmm. And this is just to cap off the, the weirdness of all the events and the people around Elagabalus. And again, Cassius Dio refers to Elagabalus as a male, and I'm just going to read this off. <clears throat> Aurelius Zodicus, a native of Smyrna, who they also called Cook after his father's trade, incurred the emperor's love and thorough hatred, and for the latter reason, his life was saved. This Aurelius not only had a body that was beautiful all over, seeing that he was an athlete, but in particular, he greatly surpassed all others in the size of his private parts. <laughs> so there, there, there is a rumor. I love rum- how they say private parts, I like know. we're in kindergarten. So there, there is a rumor, and to some extent I believe it, that Elagabalus sent out spies to find out who was hung in the empire and bring them back to, to fuck. Well, knowing what I know, I believe she yes. a thousand percent did. Um, so this fact was reported to the emperor who was on the lookout for such things. And uh, the man, Aurelius, was whisked away from the games and brought to Rome and accompanied by an immense escort. Um, just huge, essentially like this, this whole huge to-do and uh, he was appointed chamberlain before he'd even been seen by the emperor. He was honored with a new name after the emperor's grandfather. He was adorned with garlands. He entered the palace, and there's all these torches lit up, and it's this whole huge thing. And he's never even seen the emperor. And 
He just knows he's home. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so the, the, the Empress sees him, and she sprang up with, or he sprang up with rhythmic movements. And then when Aurelian addressed him in the usual salut- salutation, My Lord Emperor, hail! He bent his neck so as to assume a ravishing feminine pose and turned his eyes upon him with a melting gaze, answered without any hesitation, Call me not lord, for I am a lady. Oh. Then the emperor joined him in the bath, and finding him when they stripped him equal to his reputation, burned with even greater lust, reclined (laughs) on his breast, and took dinner like some loved mistress on his bosom. Oh, my God. But Hierocles, and remember, this is our... our, uh, Chariot chariot, guy. Yeah, he's the chariot guy. Um, He was worried that Zodokus would captivate the emperor more completely than he had himself, and therefore uh, he might find some terrible fate as a former lover. Um, And so he found the cupbearers, and he bribes them to put this stuff in Zodokus' drink. Oh... And uh, it made it so he couldn't get hard. Did they put stuff in his drink, though? Yes! Uh, erectile dysfunction knows no timeline. <laughs> it I, is still prevalent today, Bree. I, I will tell you that. Well, this guy was definitely drugged. Um, <laughs> they, they administered a drug that abated the other's manly prowess. And so after a whole night of embarrassment, being unable to secure an erection... He was immediately deprived of all the honors that the honors that the emperor had given him. The name, the garlands, the chamberlain, the escort, all of it. Yeah, she's like, bye. And kicked the fuck out of Italy. Damn. So she was like... That's how you do it. She was like, uh, I brought you here to fuck, and if you're not going to fuck, you can leave. Yeah, that's how you do it. Ladies, that's how you do it. <laughs> Gentlemen, so, that's how you do it. Kick that, him out of Italy. <laughs> <laughs> that is the tale of Elagabalus. The first and only empress of Rome. Um, And there's some back and forth among historians about whether she was actually transgender. And that's applying a really modern term to somebody who's not modern. Um, But in my opinion, yes. This is a person that was not comfortable in a male body. Did not want to present as a male. Mm -hmm. um, Preferred to be called a lady. um, Preferred to look like a lady. Underwent, like... Her equivalent of laser hair removal. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, non-binary mm-hmm. at best, but I agree with you. Yes. Yes. Um, so this that's that's our transgender woman, and I absolutely she's the best story ever. Elagabalus. Because she's nuts. Yeah, love her. Love her. She is fantastic. Okay, so for my first week, I thought it was only appropriate that I do Ava Perone otherwise known as Evita. You may have heard of... You've heard of Evita, the Broadway play? I've, I've heard of it. I've never even seen the play. So this is no. all going to be like new material to me. So it was an Andrew Lloyd Webber play, I believe, and it was made into a movie in like the 90s. And I have a fun story. So when I was five, this movie came out. Okay, Madonna plays Ava Perone, and it's a musical. They don't speak a word the whole movie. Everything is sung. And Antonio Banderas is in it, and there's another famous actor who I'm sure you'd know who plays Juan Perón, her husband. But um, I loved musicals when I was a kid, and so when this movie came out, me and my mom dressed up 
we each had like a fur coat, I guess, which I would love to know where her fur coat went, you know, she's keeping it for me, but we both dressed up in, in these fur coats and we went to the movie theater and saw Vita and I became obsessed with the movie. So from a young age, I knew like vague details about Ava Perone. But and so, so you guys just, you did the whole experience. Yes. Right? Like dressed up in fur coats. Fur coats. And okay, I'm from Pittsburgh mm. and we're like from the suburbs. So you can imagine like a suburban mall movie theater in the mid 90s and a five-year-old's walking around in a fur coat right so styling <laughs> yes yes and so i became obsessed we got it on vhs my poor father had to watch this fucking movie so many times right with just like madonna and antonio bandera saying he's like what the hell is this you know um, but, I, I'm just picturing standard Pittsburgh dad. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but I've always really, I've always really related to her because as you know, I studied political science in college. Granted, in this political climate, I have no interest in using that degree. Never will. But um, when I was younger, I was like, oh, I want to be first lady of Argentina, you know. But, so, Ava Perone, right? Avita. So, she was your inspiration to, like, want to go into politics. Somewhat. 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 Okay. It was It was probably in the back burner of my mind, you mm -hmm. know, because I loved this movie since I was, or, I loved her since I was, like, five, without well, knowing I much. would vote for you. Oh, thank you. Hey, listeners, vote for me. 2024? Yeah. All right, I got some work to do. I got two years. Yeah, you got, got some, some work to up. do. Um, so, yes. <clears throat> Avita Perone. Uh, First Lady of Argentina from 1946 to 1952. So Eva Perón was born Maria Eva Duarte uh, on May 7th, 1919 in Junin. So a lot of this I'm probably going to butcher, but Junin, Argentina um, to Juan Duarte and Juana Ibaguren. Her father was a wealthy rancher. And I guess in that time, it was not uncommon for um, a man of decent means to have multiple families. Uh, so Ava was born into his kind of secondary family. So he already had a wife and family about an hour and a half away in another town. Which, so, okay. dick, 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 that, right? This is bizarre already. It is. No, so, it, gets, it gets weird. So she's a member of, of family two. Yes, or three or four. Like, okay. no one even knows. Yeah, so um, she was considered illegitimate under Argentinian law well, at that yeah, time. You can't marry, like, nine people. Right, it's right. It's not Utah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> he was born in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we just lost Utah. <laughs> <laughs> when she's about one, one year old. Mm -hmm. Years? One year. Singular. Singular. When she's about one year old, her father completely abandoned the family. Right? So she was the youngest of five. So he abandoned um, Ava's mother, Juana, and his five children, including Ava. Um, so they became impoverished, like destitute. Uh, they ended up moving to a one-room house in Los Taldos, which is, at that time is known was known as a just completely neglected and impoverished rural town um in the, in the area and so, so there's six people in one room there's six people in one room yes oh god yes and so um ava and her sisters worked with the mother as they grew up as seamstresses and her one brother um did i'm sure labor you know and they eventually 
you know, saved up enough money to get a slightly bigger home in the same town that they then opened up as a boarding house. So she was born into extreme poverty, and that's all she experienced from a young age. Um, when she was about grade school age, she became involved in school plays, and that's when she realized she loved cinema, um, loved acting, loved drama. Her mom, of course, encouraged her to find a husband and settle down, you know, but she, Ava, wanted to act. Uh, so around 1934, she was about 15 at this time, um, Ava left for the capital of Argentina, Buenos Aires, Buenos Aires, um, and it's rumored she left with a tango singer whose name was Augustine Magaldi, who was married with children at the time, but that has not been confirmed. There are other stories that say she left for Buenos Aires with her mother or that she left on her own and was set up with family friends that housed well, her. Given this whole like multiple family thing. No, I totally buy it. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody had two or three apparently. It's... I mean, I love, I love <laughs> the idea of her running away with the tango singer. Well, yeah. Cause no, what that's... even is a tango singer? Like how do you sing tango? I mean, no. I would love to see it. But she ran away with Augustine Magaldi or by herself, but she ended up in Buenos Aires when she was about 15. So eventually, about a year later, after being in Buenos Aires, she slowly started finding regular work. Um, she began modeling. She um, started working at the Comedius Theater, and she was actually in a play called Mrs. Perez. Uh, at the same theater, um, she began touring nationally with the company as well as doing modeling work. And she also became um, a quite well-known radio actress after some time, doing um, kind of soap opera, drama, you know, radio shows. Um, so she did also have a few unsuccessful movies. Um, one of them was, and I'm going to butcher this, La Calvagata del Circo, which translates to The Circus Calv Cavalcade. The Circus Cavalcade. And La Prodigia, which translates to the prodigal. Um, so during this time, she's probably late teens. Um, she's modeling. She has these radio jobs. She's working with this theater. And it's been rumored that she had a lot of men. You know, it was kind of an open-door policy and that she used them. And she was like an opportunist, which hell yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, yes. yeah, like, what else were well, no, they she, good for? She's, she's totally seen as, like, the whole package. She's got the voice. She's mm -hmm. got the body. She's got... And so, yes, no, absolutely. Who yeah. wouldn't want it? Yeah, she's, you know, back then... I mean, she's probably 17, gorgeous. And why not use men if it yes. means getting a modeling job? More power to you. Um, and then she, she eventually bleached her hair blonde, which she would maintain throughout her life. It became a very signature look. She would wear it in this blonde chignon bun and very sleek you know um so bleach your hair blondes maintain that throughout her life um and so she eventually became very financially stable started landing more and more jobs and um so there was an earthquake in san juan argentina on uh, january 15th 1944 where 10,000 people died so this was a big earthquake and juan perón um, he was the Secretary of Labor for Argentina at that time, and he hosted this fundraising gala. And instead of only inviting the elite and, you know, members of government to this gala, he extended it to the creative community. So actors, artists, 
um, musicians, they a lot of them were invited as well to raise money for the victims of this earthquake. And so Ava Duarte, which was her name at that time, was one of the people invited. So they met that night at the gala, and it is said that they left together around 2 in the morning. Yes. There's only one thing that happens after that. Exactly. <laughs> and it said she became his mistress, and he had a wife before who had died. I don't know if he was seeing anyone at that time, but they left together at 2 a.m., so you know what's going on. Yes. So, so Ava quickly becomes co-owner of the Argentine, Argentinian Radio Syndicate, and began daily radio soap opera style shows, which detailed Juan Perón's accomplishments as Secretary of Labor, and uh, aired his speeches. So she was she was stigmatized pretty much. You know, she was obsessed with this guy. Oh, she was yeah. like, "I'm gonna use my airtime to talk about my man." So that's what she did, and she she you know accrued a lot of support for not just herself but him as well. Um, and she was never, in the early days, she was never really included in political conversations with him and his colleagues, but she would listen, you know, uh, and absorb the information. Mm -hmm. So we're going to fast forward to 1944. Um, so later that year, Juan Perón, who was Secretary of Labor of Argentina at that time, his close friend becomes president of Argentina, Right. And uh, he, Juan Perón, remains Secretary of Labor, but he's, you know, basically one of the most powerful people in the country at that time. So because the opponents of that party in power at that time were afraid of the kind of stranglehold they would have, basically um, they were afraid Juan Perón would attempt a power grab, right? Mm -hmm. um, because they had a huge support base. So he was actually arrested by these opponents. Um, and I'll tell you right now, I, I can understand politics, but for some reason, Latin American politics always, I never like, because every country is so uniquely different, like their political structure. And, you know, then you have the military troops and the, you know, so when I was in college, I actually, like, I passed Russian politics with flying colors, and that's Russia. Latin American politics, D. D. Well, that's, but, that goes all the way back to Simon Bolivar. So, I mean, that's, that's... Well, I don't even know who that is, but I believe you. It's <laughs> fucked. It's fucked. And you know what? My Latin American politics professor mm. hated me. She said I plagiarized a paper, and I was like, bitch, I did not. Sorry. Anyway, so Latin American politics is all... So, I'm trying to do this the best way I can, but basically... Juan Perón was Secretary of Labor. He got arrested by people, by the opposition, okay? That's really, I tried to research deeper, and there was, it was only getting more and more complicated in my well, brain. I'll just say they play for keeps down there. So, yeah, yeah. no. Yeah, they you don't, don't fuck around. You, you, want, you don't want a guy to win, you know, he, he disappears. Yeah, exactly. So, he's arrested, okay? And at this time, he's dating Ava. They're lovers, right? Um, eventually, you know, there's a huge, huge uprising of support to get him released. And Ava's among them. And she uses her radio show to rally the masses, get him out of prison. So he's eventually released Wait, due to... Yeah, she... <laughs> <laughs> she's she... like, I need that. She, she's been telling everybody for like a year now that like that dick is dope. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, she can't go two weeks without that. No. She needs one. So she needs yeah, okay. one. So I can one thousand percent see she gets embusted. Yeah, I mean, think about it. If anything is going to get you to rally the masses, <laughs> it's going to be some good sex. Okay. Yeah. So eventually, he's released due to this, you know, this uprising and these protests to demanding his release. A day after, and this is so cute, a day after his release, they get married in a private discreet ceremony in Junin, her hometown. Adorable. Okay. Um, and then, you know, he's feeling, he's feeling pretty good. He runs for presidency because I guess his friend stepped, I, I don't know, but he runs for presidency. Okay. Okay. So he wins in a landslide. All right. So that's 1946. That Juan Perón becomes president. They're married. Ava becomes first lady of Argentina. So now we're going to get into Ava's, um, basically what she did as first lady, which, you know, at, at that time she was seen, she was not, she was supported largely by um, the working class and women in the working class and um, labor unions, but the elite, the bourgeoisie, the military elite, they did not like her. They saw her as a floozy. They saw her as an opportunist, you know, so there was definitely a divide, but Ava definitely going back to her childhood roots. She opened up the Ava Perón foundation in 1948, which was a charitable organization. Um, and it began with, garden parties for single moms and, you know, Ava, Avita, you know, Ava Perone, now she is, would go visit, you know, just impoverished villages and hand out clothes and medicine and food. Um, but eventually it boomed. So, um, by... I'm seeing, I'm, I'm seeing major princess die. Yes, yes. There are a lot of correlations. Um, and after a couple of years, the funds within the Ava Peron Foundation grew to over 3 billion pesos. They employed 14,000 plus people. They distributed 500,000 sewing machines, 400,000 pairs of shoes, 200,000 cooking pots. And this is annually. Oh my this God. This is annually. So they built houses, hospitals, schools, orphanages. Like she was like, because she came from that, she was doing everything. She, she was like, we're giving it back. So girl knows how to get it done. Yes, okay. she does. She does. So she climbed up the ladder. She kind of, you know, flirted her way, you know, but the girl, I, she is a powerful, you know, she's a powerhouse. Mm. She, she knew what she wanted. She went and got it. Who cares if she slept with a few guys to get modeling jobs. That's all. Those are all rumors anyway. No, but she, Girl got her man out of jail. Exactly. And Boom. she's, I mean, 5,000, five, sorry, 500,000 sewing machines a year to, I mean, it's crazy. That's so she really got it done. Um, and then, so she still at this time has her radio show. So she's first lady and also has this radio show on the side. Um, so using her platform and this radio show, Ava vehemently spoke out in support of um, women's suffrage in Argentina. Because at that time, they could not vote. So, do we know where her husband stood on that? Oh, he was in support of it. So okay. she could not do much about it. She virtually, or she... She she had soft power. She had soft power. She had woman's power, which is like, you know, 
you just gotta, you oh, just gotta. Listener, you can't see this, but there's an elbow shake motion. There's an elbow shake, you know, woman's power. Don't underestimate it, you know. <laughs> hey, she got Juan to do whatever the fuck she wanted, but he he supported it. And um, September 9th, 1947, the law was passed granting women the right to vote in Argentina. And um, in a public law signing ceremony, Juan signed the bill and then passed it to Ava, symbolically making it hers. So she, yes. He's a romantic. Yes. And so she, yeah, she Mm. fought for it. She used used Mm. her platform to fight for the woman's right to vote on top of her charity work. So this woman is making moves, right? She's turning Argentina around. I love Um, it. Yes. And then soon after that, um, the female Peronist party was created. Mm. So there is already a Peronist party, which are basically loyalists to Juan Perón. And then there was a whole sub-party that came into play, which was the female Peronist party, which were pretty loyal to Ava, you know? And she was... Yeah, they were like, fuck this guy. We want her. we want her. Exactly. And we'll get into that because they did want her. Oh. Um, Yes. And by 1951, the female Peronist party had over 500,000 members and 3,600 headquarters across Argentina. And this was in 51. Okay, this is not this is not the norm for 1951. To have 3,600 headquarters across the country for a female political party is just... That's you, amazing. Yeah. That's so ahead of its time. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, you know, you, you get on the radio, you make shit happen. Exactly. And she was very, like, her radio show was, her radio show is very, she was very brazen. She was very loud. She was very, you know, like, um, outspoken. I'm picturing, like, a female liberal Rush Limbaugh. Yes. Yes. Kind of. She had a way to get people to get, move, you know? She was very, very powerful. Like, it came across, you know, and she really reached people who, who had, before not have representation we're talking working class we're talking females in the working class you know um so later in 1951 juan peron nominates ava as vice president for his re-election campaign so he's like i'm running for re-election i want ava my wife to run as my vice president now this drew a lot of criticism because they'd never seen a woman in political power at all but I like just, not in the slightest. I just want to note that we are here in the year 2022 in the U.S. of A. and have our first female <laughs> vice president. Exactly. So way ahead of the 70 time. 70 years later, yes. So he he chose her to run as vice president, president and it came with a lot of criticism, mm. but also a lot of support from, you know, the working class and women, you know, and... Um, so, yeah, like I said before, the bourgeoisie, the military elite, they saw her as low class and opportunist, you know. Um, so it was, it, was, it was divided, definitely. But unfortunately, Ava eventually declines candidacy due to this criticism and also, oh. well, and also failing health. Okay, failing health. I know, so, but was that like the politician? You know, you know, pol- every politician on their way out, they don't say, "Right, I suck." They say, "I want to spend more time with my family." Right. Well, I read this one article that said, you know, there was this. I mean, it's 1950s Latin America, so there was this notion that the woman has to be the submissive, and um, this article had stated that that political move could have possibly been. Um, 
you know, just kind of culturally where they were at the time. And she also had stated that she doesn't, she didn't want to take attention away from Juan Perón. She didn't want to take attention away from her husband, but she was, the failing health we'll get into because... I just wanted her to be vice president. I know. I wanted her to be the president. Yes. Um, so, but now the failing health. So, after a series of private and public fainting spells, Ava was diagnosed with cervical cancer. Oh. Yes. Yes. Um, on May 7th, 1952, so she is already, um, you know, she's already rejected candidacy for vice president. Um, you know, she's still first lady. She's still doing her charitable work. Um, she, on her 33rd birthday, she was honored with the title spiritual leader of the nation of Argentina, which she still holds posthumously Mm -hmm. to this day. Um, so Eva Perón Avita is the spiritual leader of Argentina and will always remain so and will always remain so. Um, but her health kept deteriorating. Um, she became so sick that towards the end of her life, she only weighed 79 pounds. Fucking cancer. Yeah. And she, she was known to wear, and at least in her early years as first lady, she would wear very flat, like fur coats, big hats, flashy. And then after she went on this European tour, um, kind of like a, a well wishes tour. It wasn't political, but Juan Perón was not able to go. And she, she went on this European tour, um, before she fell sick with cancer. But, um, when she came back from Europe, she started donning like Dior pantsuits and like very sleek, you know, but, um, uh, Hillary. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) But she was very like such a stylish lady. And, but she ended up towards the end of her life weighing only 79 pounds. And she had, Something made out of, um, what was it? Pla- it was like a plaster frame made specifically so that she could wear it under her clothes to help her stand. Oh my God. Because she was that frail. And even with that, she needed support from Juan to keep her in a standing position. Um, so very, very sick, very frail. Um, she actually was the first Argentinian to ever receive chemotherapy. Oh, wow. That was a very novel thing at the time. Well, yeah. You know, this is 1952, so chemo was, like, this brand new thing. She's probably one of the first people ever to get it. Like I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. But, <clears throat> unfortunately, it did fail. The cancer, they did do a hysterectomy, but the cancer came back, metastasized. She she was not in good shape. Um, so then on July 26, 1952, which July 26 is actually my birthday. So am I reincarnated from Eva Perone? Maybe. I'm going to go ahead and just say yes. 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 So, um, on July 26, 1952, a national radio announcement declared Eva Perone had died at the age of 33. And this, and this was probably, if I could compare it to, from what I've read, I would compare it to the Kennedy assassination. That's how... Or maybe even more profound. Like, it was, you know, businesses closed for days. No, it sounds like, I, I, I hate to, like, keep going back mm-hmm. to it, but it sounds like Princess Diana. Like, mm-hmm. that's the no, most... No, exactly. It's Because, like, she, it was... Princess Diana, at the time of her death, wasn't leader of anything. Right. Um, but she she was... But she, she was came so, from that... She was so loved. She had that human element to yeah. her. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, it's... Ah, oh, it's awful. Yes. I, think, I think we have our podcast name, though. That's right. The, the Good Die Young. Yes, yes. Um, 
But yeah, business is closed for a few days. Um, it was there were so many people rushing to um, I believe it was either her old office or Casa Rosada, which was like the White House in Argentina, um, where her body was between transports, like so many people rushed to be by her once they learned news of her death, that eight people died in a stampede and over 2,000 were injured during that 24-hour period. That's wow. how insane... Like, I, I'm seriously a little choked up. This yeah, is so Yeah, that's how, like, people storm the streets, businesses shut down, movies stopped mid-film... The, the country just was a, at a standstill, and people were just rushing to no, be like, close to her body. Yes. It's, it's one of those things where you're like, you know exactly where you were when you heard the news. Like yep, exactly. And, and for a lot of people, it was under a lot of other people's feet, yeah. apparently. Yes. Everyone was just rushing to be by her. So the state funeral, she had a state funeral, which is which up until that time was reserved for presidents and heads of state. But Ava Perone had Let's one. Let's be real. She was head of state. She was. Oh, yeah. Juan was her puppet. No. J.K. Juan, love you. Um, no. But, uh, <laughs> so, almost three million people attended her funeral. God. Three million people attended the funeral, which, I don't know, the population of Buenos Aires was at that time, but that had to have been the whole city plus. Yeah, no, the, yeah, the city. The I s- mean, the surrounding area showed up to this. Yes, funeral. yes, and then so she was also they so she was embalmed by this embalming expert. She they brought in Juan under Juan's direction. They brought in this embalming expert to, and he actually pumped her body full of glycerin, which I guess makes you appear youthful and keeps you looking the same. I don't know, but it's weird. They think it was she would not have wanted that, but Juan wanted to keep her the same. People, I don't know. People it do is, weird shit is, and grief. Well, this is when it starts getting weird. Mm. Okay. Awesome. So. She was in her embalmed body, right, remained on display in her former office for two years after her death. So it was like, um, I, I saw pictures of it, like the, the front of the casket was just like a glass panel. So you could see her. Two years? For two years. Two, oh my. Well, no, Bray, it gets, it gets weird. So oh her embalmed God. body remained on display. Okay. Now. We're fast forwarding, um, let's see, three years. So 1955, she's still on display in her former office. Oh my God. She's embalmed, she looks beautiful, you know. 1955, Juan Peron, he's still president, he's overthrown by a military coup. Okay. It's probably over the corpse in the office. <laughs> right. I mean, I'd be like, dude, you're sick. What you doing? Right. So military coup. The coup was called Revolution Libertadora. Um, so he was overthrown. Juan fled the country. Okay, so he goes to Spain. He's but like, peace out. Did he take the corpse? This is where it gets weird. <laughs> okay. He did not take the corpse. Oh my god. He left her behind. No. Yes. He leaves Ava's corpse, her perfectly embalmed corpse, in her fucking office. So, a military dictatorship took over Argentina. Ava's body, no one knew where it was for 16 years. 16 years. No one knew. Juan fled the country. No one knew. They knew it wasn't there, but they didn't know where it was. Okay? Now, we're going to fast forward again to 1971. Ava is found buried in Milan, Italy, in a crypt under the name Marie Maggi. 
But how they found her, I don't know. Okay, that's question one. But okay, question two. Going back to the coup, mm-hmm. can you imagine like all these soldiers are rushing around? They're taking over shit. Can you imagine being they the soldier see- that rushes into that office? He's like, whoa. He's just like, oh, what hey. the actual fuck hey, am I looking at? Yeah, just just Evita, just <clears throat> looking perfect with her uh, glycerin creepy. Glycerin Yes, yeah, glycerin. <laughs> uh, so they find her in a crypt in Milan, okay? This is in 1971, so that's, I can't do math, 15, 16 years later. Oh, yeah, I said 16 years. So 16 years go by, they eventually find her in Milan. How the fuck she ended up in Milan, you know. Um, so when they find her, she has, her body is pretty damaged, okay? She has compressions on her face, damaged feet. She has a missing finger. She has blows to the chest. She has marks on her back. So the body had been disturbed, obviously. Um, they think the missing finger came from, during the coup, someone had taken a finger to actually identify if it was really Ava Perone or not. Oh, it's horrific. Anyway, they they fucked with this corpse, and then they just, you know... So, basically, um, I did some research, and what I found was um, there was covert assistance from the Vatican to move her body to Milan. So she was probably stored in a military intelligence office for a while, and then the Vatican... um, assisted in moving her to Milan, which I don't know why the Vatican would assist. I tried to research that. I couldn't find really much of anything. I'm guessing her husband asked for a little help because his dead wife is still on display. It could have been. It could have been. Oh my God. Yeah. So, um, so she was moved to Milan. Um, so they find the body though. So good news. They find the body. She's all fucked up, but Hey, whatever. And this is, you'll love this. So Juan is in Spain with his now third wife, Isabel. He's remarried. He's in Spain living with his third wife while the, you know, the dictatorship is ruling Argentina. Um, So once they find Ava's body, they fly her to Spain where Perón and his third wife clean her up and keep her in their dining room. No! In their dining room! Let, leave this, Where you eat. Leave her alone. In the dining room. In the dining room. This this is like Kara Cunningham, like, leave, leave Ava alone. Yep. No, she was in their dining room for two years. For two years. I'm just, I'm imagining that, that dinner, like, where you're like, yeah. oh, hi, honey, how was your day? Yeah, oh, it is, was fantastic. Oh, meet Isabel, you know? Isabel, second wife, third wife, hey, you know, over a nice paella. Ava's going to watch over things, if that's okay. (laughs) In the dining room. So they're just in Spain. (laughs) Ava's in their dining room. Chilling. They're just hiding in Spain. Um, So then 1973, I guess, um, Juan returns to Argentina. So... Um, they basically, the dictatorship's overthrown. Juan is granted permit. He moves back. So he's back in Argentina. He's elected, re-elected his third term as president. So he's back in a flash. 1973, I'm president again, baby. So, but then he dies a year later. He dies in 1974. Well, you know he died on top. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to Ava, who is still in the dining She's room. She's still in the dining room. Well, he, they actually, um, let me see. So... They brought her back. So um, when Juan returned to Argentina, he made Isabel, the third wife, his vice president, which was his, which is what he was going to do with Ava, but she got sick. So Isabel is vice president. After Juan dies, she 
Isabel becomes the first female Republican head of state in the world. Wow. That so, could have been Ava. It could have been Ava. It, it, should, have, been it Ava. should have been Ava. But Isabel had Ava's body returned to Argentina, and she had Ava buried at the Duarte family tomb in Buenos Aires. So Ava was buried with her family. But listen to this. Because she, her body had been missing for 16 years, her tomb is now, so it's in Buenos Aires and her family tomb, but her tomb specifically is 15 feet down and has two different trap doors. Well, can you imagine? She's been fucked with so much. Two different trap doors. Yes. Yes. They're like, no one's touching our spiritual leader of the nation. She's two fucking trap doors. So, and this is this is where it gets even more bizarre. Uh, it gets even weirder. Even weirder than watching you eat? Oh, my God. Even weirder. So, the year is now 2011. A neurosurgeon at Yale University... His name is Daniel Nijinson. Um, I might be butchering his last name. But he found through x-rays of Ava's skull that she had received, months before her death, a prefrontal lobotomy. What? Yes. So he's examining these x-rays of her skull. And he's like, she she got a lobotomy, right? So... Is- is that the same as, like, an ice pick lobotomy? Like, I, I need to look this up. That's... I know. Well, if she would have received a lobotomy, it was, which, I mean, this this says she did. Like, there there is, you know, it's still somewhat debated, but there's evidence proving that she did have a prefrontal lobotomy. And back in, it would have been 1952, they may have still been doing the ice pick. I oh don't know. Oh, my God. But, so, initially, it was reported that, you know, she received the lobotomy under Juan's instruction to relieve the pain and anxiety that came with her terminal cancer diagnosis. God. Right? But this doctor at Yale investigated a little more thoroughly. Um, He investigated the circumstances surrounding this lobotomy, and it was discovered that, you know, around, like, a couple months before her death, she'd actually begun stockpiling weapons with the intent to begin training a working-class militia and she was delivering fiery speeches. She was writing, like, crazy letters. She was getting very violent. She was getting very polarizing politically. And so it's believed that Juan lobotomized her to actually prevent an Argentinian civil war. So he just wanted to turn her down a couple notches. He just wanted to... Holy nom- He just wanted to zombify her. So... Wow. So the stocks are found that she had been lobotomized, right? And this is all backed up by um, information from a nurse, a scrub nurse that assisted the doctor who performed the lobotomy. And she she basically said in an interview, yes, he had he had done this and you know performed this lobotomy. And no one knows to this day why the if it was strictly to alleviate Ava from pain and anxiety of having terminal cervical cancer and being in pain, or if it was Juan saying, hey, she's she's you know becoming paranoid. She's stockpiling weapons. We got to silence her. Oh, my God. Yeah, so she was lobotomized. And the the doctor who performed the lobotomy was actually a very celebrated American neurosurgeon by the name of James Popper. So, um... Or, no, I'm sorry. James Poppin. James Poppin. Um, so that was discovered in 2011. So that was, like, 11 years ago. It was discovered that she had received a lobotomy in the last few months of her life. So no one, no one knows... 
no one knows the intent behind that lobotomy, but anyway, Ava Perón, Ava Duarte, Evita, she is known today for her escape from poverty, her enormous charitable works, and her fight for women's visibility in the political sector. And uh, she really accomplished so much in 33 years of life. 33! She died at 33! I mean, she was a model, she was a radio actress, she was a film actress, she was a first lady, she really rallied the masses and, you know, um, really, you know, fought to, you know, ensure rights for the working class people of Argentina. And she's still considered the spiritual leader of the nation. And yet, you know, despite her body being lost for 16 years and then being in a dining room and then us later finding out she was lobotomized, you know, she was a real powerhouse. And I... It sounds like she was about to, like, start the revolution on her own. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. Nuts. She's a pretty kick-ass lady. Yeah. Yeah. So Ava Perone. And like I said before, I may be her reincarnate, but that's just my personal opinion. Well, just always remember, and I'll, 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 I'll close out with this. You can always be like El- Elagabalus and sleep your way to the bottom. <laughs> or you can be like Ava Perone and sleep, sleep your, your way, way to, to the, the top, top baby. Yes. That's right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We're so excited to do next week's episode. Um, definitely stay in tune. We're planning on doing an episode a week. Yep. And I am so excited to do this because there's so many amazing stories out there um, that have not been covered. And uh, we can't wait to bring them to you, whether they are inspiring or enlightening or bizarre or downright crazy. Um, but yeah, no, this is, this is going to be great. And I'm really excited. Um, this is just episode one of many. Yes. And remember, don't get chopped into little pieces and don't get lobotomized. All right, bye. Bye.